Hello, and welcome to episode 11th of We Walk the Earth, a Nodalab original podcast. I'm your host, Sergio Isauro. If you wish to support this podcast and the people behind it, please rate us and leave a review in Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. Ratings and reviews are really helpful, making a podcast reach a wider audience and supporting the hard work and creativity behind it. This week's guest, Igor Rakus, is a trained musician and a regenerative cannabis farmer. His industry-defying practice, which mixes scientific methods with a deep connection with nature and the environment, is helping create a more environmentally fair industry in these times of fast and careless industrialization. Please, let's welcome to the show, Igor Rakus. This is We Walk the Earth. Enjoy. Mic check. Check, check. I was exploring the Pacific Northwest and uh, I came upon this property I found online that was for rent. And I went over there and talked to the landlords about 24 hours after getting to town and signed a lease. A friend of mine was growing some plants and he was a geneticist for a real long time and helped develop a lot of the strains that we know now. And I asked him where the best place to grow grow would be. And, and he said Savi Island because of the silt deposits. And so I looked on Craigslist and found this property, went over there, and uh, started growing to see what would happen. And it worked. Lo and behold, you know, all we did was lay down some compost, and uh, and it worked. So just, to, it was like sort of a test, you know. Mm-hmm. And I've never grown in a field without uh, constructed soil before. Okay. So... It was a big experiment for me, but I loved it. I've grown in greenhouses before and in pots, but never just in raw ground. And this ground was really exploited too. It was uh, a cornfield that you know they had sprayed and then abandoned for, I think it was seven years. And and when we got there, the soil wasn't all that great. And I didn't know what I was doing when I signed the lease. You know, I was just you know following advice from a from a friend and. I, it was really bad once once I started testing the compression of the soil with a like compact compression meter. It's like a stick with a gauge on the top that tells you how much PSI you're using to get through the ground. And uh, we hit about yeah pounds per square inch. Yeah, so at about one and a half inches, we hit over 200 PSI. So really difficult to push it in anymore at that point, you know? And a half inch of soil really isn't enough. So what I did was I dug a bunch of holes and, you know, backfilled with constructed soil, but mostly it's just stuff I mixed local compost and and, uh, loam and just threw it in there. Used no fertilizer. I think it was like, I used maybe a couple of gallons of fish hydrosylate you know, and I took off. I wasn't even there. There was this uh, girl who lived there. All she had to do was turn on the pumps. And we put, didn't even put the plants in the ground until like late August. And uh, so they weren't very big, but they grew, 
like chest high and had gorgeous colas on them. And uh, yeah, I was pleased for the results. I really wasn't expecting much. And then, and so then I was, I look, you know, I'm looking at this field and I'm thinking, you know, what could this possibly be, you know, and how could we do it correctly, you know? And I knew that everything that I had done before wasn't going to work on a commercial level of that size, you know? You had been growing with for a while. Oh, uh, yeah. Until I, that point. I've been growing for about 20 years prior okay. to that. Yeah. Okay. Was that? Well, 2001. So now like 18 years or something. Okay. So, yeah. And uh, I was, I've been a medical uh, grower, licensed medical grower for some time. In California? Uh, no, in uh, the north, in Maine. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's still like illegal federally. So, uh, you know, it's, as cool as it is, and even though most states have it legal, I still get a little nervous uh, talking about it, you know? But that's just part of the deal, you know? Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. I think that's a very interesting thing about marijuana and drugs overall, that we want them legalized. Yeah. But it's not, it doesn't happen just in a snap. No. And you have to like push it a bit Sure. And, and, you know, like, yeah, we kind of like we, be on the edge. And there's so many factors when during the legalization process that, you know, it's it's almost um, it's just it, it, you wouldn't even expect to have to deal with uh, such as large corporations coming in and uh, buying out senators. And, you know, I've seen it happen. I mean, that's how laws get passed. Yeah, I mean, money. <laughs> so there's all these greedy motherfuckers coming in that have not part of cannabis culture at all, and they're taking over. Like yeah. what happened with High Times Magazine that we, you know, like yeah, we were, you were talking about me. earlier. But it's it's all the way down. Like if you look at, um, say, you know, let's start with just the growing supplies. The largest hydroponic nutrient solution is General Hydroponics. They've been around for a really long time, and the second largest is Botanicare. And both of those are already owned by Scotts, which labels their products from Bayer Monsanto's. Okay. And then they Scotts went ahead and bought the largest fans, the fan company, Can Air. Hmm. And then they continued, you know, with grow pots and and then they bought Gavita Lighting, which was the largest lighting supplier at the time. Hmm. And oh, no. you know, and it goes on and on. And and then that wasn't enough. So then they bought the largest cannabis distributor in the United States and also the largest distributor, not cannabis equipment distributor. Okay. And the largest one in Europe too. So it's like, are they gonna take over or has it already happened? Yeah. So I had owned three grow stores at that time. And I was just like, fuck this, I'm out. One of them had a greenhouse and I started growing a lot of peppers and um, and even a little ayahuasca plants and um, mm -hmm. yeah, and some heirloom tomatoes, you know, and just experimenting with organic agriculture without using all these salts that kill or the microbes in the soil. And not only were costs way lower, we had beautiful food, you know? And, and it worked great. So I started applying that more and more to cannabis. And uh, I realized that, you know, I've been shammed. And the whole thing is just a giant scam. You don't need a seven-part nutrient solution to feed plants, you know, especially ones that kill microbes. 
So then I started looking at commercial agriculture in general, like soybeans, corn, and how to apply that type of agriculture to cannabis, but also environmentally and, and ecologically and also economically sound, you know? So, because you have to have everything. It's weird in the cannabis industry, if you're going to be a farmer, you, you need to have, you got to get a, a law game down, a politics game down, and then your soil biology and all, all that yeah. too. It's not just growing. And, and the landscape is constantly shifting below your feet. They change regulations. And like right now in Maine, the medical programs being disseminated, you, you're constantly got to stay on top of shit, you know? And um, so, yeah, I looked at what was going on in a large agriculture on a large agricultural level and what really spoke to me and what seemed the most legit was regenerative agriculture and so i dug really deep into that and in that process i spent a lot of time studying there's definitely a lot to learn and i was lucky enough to learn a lot from a guy named chris trump who's a really good guy and was just super helpful and he's got a bunch of YouTubes and totally worth checking out. But really what what changed my game was when I met Dr. Elaine Ingham and she was, she's such a kind lady and we hit it off and she came to the farm and gave me one-on-one -on -one microscope lessons because she saw what I was doing was like on a larger scale and wanted to help me succeed. And I ended up hiring um, Nick Tomasini, a good friend of mine who works with Elaine and, and he's been really helpful in doing like biological analysis and to see how, if we are being successful, you know? So after the first year of treating the ground, our topsoil there went from a half inch to eight inches. And last year, which was our second year at some spots, we hit 16 inches of topsoil. So it's exponentially getting better and better and better as we add these nutrients, you know. And I could go off right now if you wanted me to on the processes. I'm yeah. really curious about regenerative farming. Yeah. There is a balanced level between business and trying to make it the right way. Sure. Uh, the right way as in less environmentally like harmful and stuff. How did you go to this point? Do you think... Is that where the industry is going or is it just not cost effective or? The industry, it's like, you know, our culture is is broad now. You know, it's not just up in the hills growing weed or yeah. it's like these big corporations. Even normal agriculture or not normal, they, they call it conventional or food or whatever, but it should, let's just call it chemical agriculture, right? Mm. <laughs> is a sham, you know? And most commercial grows are still following this model. It, it's ridiculous. We started growing in basements and in hidden little spots and warehouses because we couldn't utilize the sun because the shit's illegal. And a lot of these grows, they're not even using greenhouses. They're in warehouses. Like, doesn't make any sense. And they're using all this high-powered lighting and... Uh, I mean, it's a crazy business model. And, and I would like to think that, that we're moving into regenerative agriculture. That'd be great. But even the commercial guys, they've caught on to this too now. Like there's all these like regenerative programs and like through Bayer, Monsantos and shit. And it's like, it's bullshit, man. You know, they're not, they don't give a fuck. And their models aren't really going in that direction. So 
I, I don't know what's going to happen. I only know what I want to do and what feels right for me. And I really kind of take on this as a more of an artist and a spiritual practice than necessarily something that's going to make me rich. If that comes on, cool. You know, it's <laughs> it's a lot of fucking work. I'd love to get a payout, but that's not that wasn't the original goal. My my first vision for this project actually was a year before I got there in uh, in this town called Paoyan. It's a village near Pucallpa in Peru, and I was uh, doing a dieta with Chiriksanango, which is like a teacher plant. And I woke up in the middle of the night under my muscatera, terrified and extremely paranoid. And I couldn't sleep. My stomach was twisting out. My tongue was like buzzing with needles. After you had the yeah. plant, the ceremony? Or? Yeah, you do it every other night. Okay. And every other night you drink ayahuasca. So, so anyway, I wake up, I'm fucking paranoid as fuck. And I just can't sleep. And I'm just thinking about my life, you know, and I'm like, how the fuck did I get here? And I was actually sick at the time. And I was just questioning everything. It was, it was tough. It was just, uh, it was really tough. And, and the thing that I kept asking is, am I going to jail? I was living this, it was a gray area Outlaw. at best, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I was paranoid. And the plant gave me this vision of this huge cannabis field. And it was like, nah, dude, you got a lot of weed to grow. <laughs> Don't even trip. And I fell asleep soundly. And then all of a sudden, we've got this awesome setup, you know? So bottom, bottom line, though, if you look at the cost of a commercial chemical grow compared to a environmentally sound regenerative grow or like pennies on the dollar. You know, it's way cheaper. We have a 200 amp service, right? Which is what most houses have to grow 6,500 plants at a time. So it's like, because we use the sun, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And we use light deprivation and we make sure our soil is rich in carbon and has all the elements it needs so our plants are healthy so that we don't need pesticides, not even organic pesticides, because the plants aren't sick. You know, plant insects come in when plants release pheromones when they're unhealthy to break them down so they don't grow there and something else that fits that biological niche can grow. So as long as you keep your plants healthy, there's really, costs are super, super low. I mean, there there are some tricks and shit. You got to deal with stuff like forest fires and like unexpected heavy rains and high humidities that aren't normal to things that we've seen in the last 10 years, you know, like heavy, weird floods and then droughts. So I, I don't know. If you throw enough money at the problem, you could fix environmental conditions, though, you know, using a greenhouse and then all dehumidifiers and heaters and and keeping it exactly how you want to, but that costs a lot of money. And, but it's worth it. it, it you'll get the return on your investment. P currently, I didn't have that much fucking money to work with. So I bought a bunch of metal ribs for high tunnels, which are basically like cheap greenhouses. They're arc shaped. And you put a plastic film over the top of them. And I bought those from a strawberry farm that was going out of sale. Did all the work on the farm myself and like figuring it out as far as running wiring and plumbing, you know, across acreage. And, but YouTube's a, is a great teacher, man. So yeah, I think the way to go is regenerative, of course. I mean, regenerative agriculture, you're cleaning the watershed. 
then you're sequestering atmospheric carbon and we could literally reverse global carbon trends. If all of our farming methods, all the food and ganja, because ganja is a very small little speck on the map, did this, we, we'd see it across the board. And it's not like these big chemical companies didn't know. It's a, they, they've, they know that their salts kill the microbes. So I think what would be a cool thing to share is this whole idea of what is regenerative agriculture in general yeah. or like what's going on with this. Yeah. So if you walk into a forest, you notice there's a lot of plants, right? Different. Tons of different diverse. plants, but huge, massive trees, you know, and there's no fertilizer. So how is this possible and that we need to dump all this chemical fertilizer or even organic fertilizer on our ground to produce the small little plants? It's like this shit doesn't add up. So um, what's going on is the, the, the plant's root system it, that goes through the ground is releasing this chemical constantly. And this chemical is food and also a communicator for microbes. And it says to the microbe, I need zinc. So it sends out food specific to the microbe that will unlock zinc for it to be able to eat it. So, so, if, so if you plow, you're killing all those microbes if you're, or a lot of them. And if you throw salt chemicals down, like general hydroponics or and botanic care, advanced nutrients or all these companies, they're, you're, you're going to kill these microbes, which will then make you dependent on putting down more chemicals. And if you do this on a large scale, then you're not ever going to be able to grow. If you're plowing every year, throwing chemicals on the ground every year, killing the microbes every year, not reintroducing carbon into the soil that you're taking out, you're, you know, you're now a slave to these corporations. So it doesn't really add up financially, but they like it that way, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah you, they want you to come back and get more right. of the product. Exactly. So it's uh, it's it's totally ridiculous to me, man, when I think about it. It's like, I can't believe people fall for this shit. You yeah. know what I mean? It's just like, the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, uh, also, we're not think. I mean, we're not aware of it Yeah, on a big scale. Yeah, but large commercial farmers are. But they're buying their seed from the same company they're buying yeah. their chemicals from, too. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, we got to break this pattern and, yeah. and it's not helping the cause. Because, too, I don't know if you're, you know, you're aware of like dead zones in the ocean caused by nitrogen runoff that flows into the oceans. No, what's a dead zone? Like, a dead no zone's life. like, there's dead zones the size of Texas in the, in the water where nothing lives. Like no, no microorganisms. Life, no, well, maybe microorganisms. But like yeah. no, no fish. Well, no crabs. No, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. And it's it, what happens is is uh, there's runoff of nitrogen that just ends up in the ocean from all this chemical crap they keep dumping on the ground, and it, it's creating like these zones in the ocean. Where there's no not enough oxygen. So nothing will live in there. It ain't, it ain't pretty. Hmm. There's like a big bloom of something that comes in that would then suck all the oxygen out and the shit dies. I don't know much about it, but it's enough. To, there's so many factors. Not only that, it's also leaching into our drinking water. There's like, and a lot of these chemicals are made from petroleum. In fact, the largest uh, user of petroleum products in the world is agriculture, not like transportation or heating or you know, electricity, it's agriculture. So, yeah, we, we got to get on that shit. For me, it was just like, fuck no, I'm not doing this. So 
what can we do from here, you know? And and it's really not that much work. In fact, if once you get going in regenerative agriculture, it just runs itself. Yeah. You just got to maintain and check. I mean, I check on it constantly. I look at like microscope slides to see what microorganisms we have going on and how how things are going and are we doing better? Is What can we do different? There's definitely a, a learning curve, you know, but once you get over it, it's it's definitely worth your time. And as an artist or as a farmer or whatever, if you're going to do something, why not do it? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you're going to just read the side of a label on a bottle and pour it in some chemical. Like what, what, where's that art? Yeah. You're using GMO yeah. crops and then it's just like, it's just greed. There's this thing about us wanting control and wanting to have comfort and just doing the same thing. When you say as an artist and as a grower, I, I, I picture this conversation between the grower and the plants and the weather and yeah, the, exactly. the rain, yep. the and soil, the yeah. whatever, mm -hmm. the animals that live around it. From the bacteria all the way up to a microanthropod, to the spiders, to the But you need to be listening. To the birds. You need to be listening. Yes. Throughout all this process, not just it, yeah, like it, controlling, 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 having like wanting the same conditions, the same growth, the same Exactly. Whatever. And these larger corporations, they treat cannabis like it's a widget, like it's some like a like some cog or a, a tire <laughs> you know like you put this put input in it and you do lean method and which is yeah. great for farming but and you got your six sigma and you've you know and you apply that to a plant it's got benefits for that for sure but if you negate all the environmental factors all the way down from the microbes to to the end consumer you're going to be fucked. And what, what I think is kind of funny is that uh, I have some inside information about a corporation called Canopy. I don't know if you get in trouble putting this up, but they just spent six million or a couple of years ago, they spent like about six million on the same size grow as mine, which I spent about 600K. <laughs> and they're, and they're hemorrhaging about like $300,000 a month in losses or were for a really long time because they kept treating it like a widget. So, and here's like a flip side to that. When I got to the farm, I think I ate a little bit of mushrooms and, you know, I smoked a little herb, smoked a little herb and went for a nice nature walk. And a lot, big part of this island hasn't been, um, hasn't been uh, developed. So it's protected. And, and there is an invasive species there of a blackberry. And it and it just grows pr prolifically, and and it grows really well. It loves this island, so I figure, hey, this plant has it figured out, you know. And what I noticed was that at a certain point, um, botrytis, which is an airborne fungus, will attack this plant and start to you know kill it. And that's at the point when the plant's pretty much like I'm done growing and and it's finished. So I realized that I better harvest my plants before this plant is done, you know? And so just by looking at your environment, you, you know. And, and then some farmers, some cannabis farmers on the island that owned commercial agriculture businesses, 
they did the same thing, but they didn't really pay attention. And almost all of them went out of business already. They've lost all their money and because they this botrytis just attacks their plants and they don't have anything to show for it at the end of the season. So you gotta like check things out for sure, you know. But yeah, man, there's no I'm 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 a total noob still. I hope I'll be saying that in 10 years too. This is so new and still evolving, you know, and mixing all these different what, what I like is a hybrid of mixing all these Korean methods and Hugo culture even and biochar and, and all these. And Are these farming methods? They're farming methods or biochar. For anything. For anything. Yeah. But then really check, is it working? You mm -hmm. know, And you can't just look at your plant and say, oh, my plant is healthy. Because sure, it might look healthy, but are you maximizing every square foot of the land you're on? Because there is a business side to it too. Yeah, you know, it's, it's got to be sustainable. Yeah. So a new technique that we've been doing is uh, leaf sap analysis, and we're able to see exactly what the plant is missing or has too much of, and then we give that to the plant in an organic form that is. Uh, sprayed on foliarly. Sorry, I changed the, the topic a bit, but I just think about this thing a really good friend of mine told me about marijuana being next to the human for a long, long time. Yeah, man. For a long, long time. And she says that weed has like spirit. And now the spirit of weed is kind of angry. Nah, it's bullshit, dude. <laughs> In my opinion, you know. I, mean, I believe cement and gasoline also has spirit. This microphone has spirit. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, the plants exudate could be, I'm not like against chemicals either, but how does it fit into the whole picture? Yeah. Like, are you, is it running off into the ocean? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as far as the spirit of the plant, you want to hear a funny cannabis spirit story? Yeah. All right, so <laughs> I'm I'm back at this town in uh, Peru, uh, this village on on the river, and uh, my shaman and I don't use that word lightly. And someone who I respect, you know, marijuana is, doesn't grow in in Peru, so they they don't understand it. You know, I help by getting them high and showing them <laughs> the plant, but um, or I try to share anyway. I should say, anyway, I was laying on the floor. You know, during ceremony, it's pretty standard. And uh, and the shaman starts singing the song. And I said, Shapibo, you know, I don't understand Shapibo, but I can catch the vibe, you know? And it wasn't cool. It was like, beat it to marijuana. And I kept hearing him say marijuana, you know? And man, my body was like totally outstretched. I didn't even have too much control of the way I was moving or anything, you know? It was a pretty deep one. And this big green cloud comes washing over me and manifests itself into this feminine giant that was green and and uh and she picks me up right and at the at the time the shaman is singing and blowing uh agua de flora and mapacho mixture like a uh, perfumed smoke over me you know and she picks me up and lights the, my head on fire in this vision, right? It takes a huge hit and blows the smoke all over my shaman. And he stopped singing immediately. And, uh, or it changed, you know? And then after that, he was okay with me smoking weed. I mean, 
if that's not the marijuana spirit, then what is? I mean, you know, the, we use that word spirit, but it's a word and spirit isn't a word and spirit isn't an idea either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, know what, I, mean, like, I know what you mean, but but like an essence. I feel you. Okay, so I'm really interested in, <laughs> in this um, experience you have in the jungle. Was it in the jungle? Oh, yeah. Okay, so man, who was this big feminine entity that presented? An to? aspect of God, dude. And, I mean, the, and related to weed. Yeah, like the weed guardian, like the weed. She was with the weeds fucking queen queen or spirit. something and it wasn't even necessarily a woman it could have been some like part yeah. no but it felt feminine it felt feminine yeah yeah but i always feel the spirit is feminine very yeah, rarely and, and like san pedro for instance i do feel a male energy you know mm. like the funny uncle yeah they say that also hikuri like peyote i think yeah same they, thing. i haven't tried it but i think they say it's like more fatherly yeah, peyote is yeah. more of like the strict father. So yeah, we attribute all these human things, but they're not human, you know. Yeah, so yeah, it's, it's like so our, like it's like the the processes of thought, right, which forms our entire environment. Really, if you think yeah. about it. Yeah, we put things in boxes, and then we build our reality around those. Boxes. Right, and if but if we didn't, they would just be abstractions in a dualistic yeah. paradigm, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is the only one we have access to, for the most part, you mm -hmm. know. People could say, oh, you know, uh, it's all one. But really, dude, I'm looking at you and you're using words. So that's mm. already dualistic, you know. Yeah. It definitely helps interactions, right? What? The dualistic. It There's nothing but that. Yeah. You know, in this, in this dimensional reality anyway. Mm. Yeah. So... But um, it's all a lie, you know, yeah. too. It's not like, well, not like a, the, it's a story, you know, it shouldn't have bad implications, but it's a story. Yeah. So, and the story all exists inside of spirit. So there's nothing in the story that isn't spirit, mm. <laughs> you know, even plastic or nuclear bombs. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. But from my perspective, you know, in agriculture anyway, it's like, I think that the wilderness not to use the word nature because I we're in nature too, so it's plastic, right? But like the wilderness has a lot to teach us. So if you look at the forest after a fire, right? So all those microbes have died. There's nothing there anymore, right? It's just burnt, you know? The first things that'll happen is weeds will start growing. And those weeds still have those exodus just like the big trees and they attract microbes. And then microbes start coming in and then you have a very bacteria-rich soil with no fungus. But eventually, the, the nitrogen-fixing microbes change into another type of nitrogen. And then you start getting some fungus coming in. And then no more, the weeds start being changed and you start seeing grasslands. And after a while, more fungus comes in and then you start to see some tree saplings. And then when you look at a old growth forest, you could find a hundred times more fungus to bacteria in the soil. And in, in even one square centimeter of that soil, there's more microorganisms than there are people on the planet. 
And it's a really rich population. There's a lot of different types of funguses, a lot of different types of bacteria. And much like our society, the more mixed this population is, the more diverse it is, the healthier the stronger, it is. Yeah. 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 So it's it's really cool. And and we don't understand. Even the top, top dudes don't really fully get it. We're just like just in a cave with a surface. flashlight yeah. looking around. And But if I'm going to be doing that, I think nature has a lot to teach us. You yeah. know, or not nature, the wild, you know, or the wilderness or yeah. the unhumaned. Yeah. And then we humanize it, yeah. you know. <laughs> it's it's nice. I like that Dude, analogy with the flashlight. I, I mean, and it yeah, makes I didn't me come up with that. I heard yeah. that somewhere. It makes me think that it's nice for us to be exploring the cave with a flashlight, but also would be nice to just turn the flashlight off and be there in the darkness yeah. for a few minutes, you know, like really soak it in and like acknowledge we're not going to be able to experience the whole cave. Right. Because we only have a flashlight and we have limited time. Yeah. And maybe with certain mind expanding drugs, we could turn it into a floodlight. <laughs> yeah, but just for like a like a yeah, flash, for, you know, like for a you took a photograph, like you had like a few yeah, seconds. I, I was, I, I had tea with this Shaolin monk. We were sitting in front of a fire drinking tea. And he says to me, I want you to take on this practice. And I, I told him about my experiences with mushrooms. And, and then he, he said exactly what you said. You light a piece, it's like lighting paper. You light a piece of paper, it burns really bright, really hot, but it goes out fast. Yeah. And he points to the fire, he's like, I want to teach you how to burn logs. You know? Mm. He was a smart dude. The Shaolins are definitely burning logs. Yeah. This guy looked like he was like 30 and he was like 60 something. Yeah. 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 <laughs> what's, like, what's his name? Maybe I know him. Master Wong, but oh, okay. that's the yeah. only way I know. Yeah. Of, you know, he has a temple in San Francisco. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, man, there's mm. a lot to learn still. And but that's what this whole ride, I think, is really about, too, man. Like we said, environment is we kind of agreed on that environment's really like an aspect is is a product of thinking. And then when we think about ourselves, then life is really a product of thinking, too. And I often hear people say, you know, what's the point of life? What's the meaning of life? And it's like, well, what is life then? And if you look at life as thought, then what's the point of thought? And that's just to conceptualize, to conceive, you know, and to create. It happens automatically. All you have to do is be in a room <laughs> or be yeah. in any space. Just be. And it uh -huh. starts, just be, <laughs> you know, and and you start to conceptualize. And I think that's the whole point of the whole thing. So, and it's fun to play with it and, and do other things. And, you know, agriculture is just one aspect. And there's a lot of music and hanging out with people, <laughs> you know. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we can count with our hand the number of things that make us human, but that also we need to be happy. Yeah, agriculture is like sustain, you know? Mm -hmm. We need people, we need sustain, and we need a roof yeah. and expression, and that's it, basically. Yeah, I mean, if you look at like Maslow's and hierarchies dancing. of need. And dancing. Sure. <laughs> we could look at it as like Maslow's hierarchy of need, yeah. right? But if you achieve the top state, right, you're in the states of awe and the mystical like oneness, you could take that triangle and flip it upside down. You don't necessarily need to go and have a house and a roof and food and water and shelter and, all, and community and all the things to achieve that state. You could be in that state without those things too. 
Yeah, I remember Maslow. It's just a thought. For, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. I remember Maslow's from high school, but does he say anything about the like emotional, spiritual? Yeah, yeah, the top, okay. the top, yeah, okay. the top of the triangle. Okay, yeah. but not using the word spiritual. No. Okay. But if you look into his definition of states of awe, I mean, dude, this has been like fucking 15, 20 years yeah, since yeah. I, I don't know, yeah, but yeah. that's how I'm remembering it right yeah. now, <laughs> you know? But yeah. yeah. But yeah, man, it's like just trying to like live a life where I could do whatever I want financially. I've kind of always been blessed in that sense, a, kind of like a cosmic trust fund. You know, and it's just as long cosmic as, sponsorship. Yeah, like I'm sponsored. <laughs> like, you know, no matter what, I feel like I'm taken care of, and it's been that way since I moved out when I was like 16. You know, and it's like I've always been taken care of. You know, and it's like I'm like a spoiled little bitch at this point, like uh -huh. a trust fund kid. But which is cool because now it's more like playing with this dream state that we're in or thought state. I think Hindus call it Maya, right? Rather than constantly being like, how can I survive? How could I like... The rat race. The rat race. And then the whole like, oh, look at my new Beamer game and all that. It's not going to lead to any kind of fulfillment ever. Have you felt this way for a long time or...? I mean, when I first started making real money or like enough money to buy a house and a Beamer, I did. <laughs> you know, and I was like... 29, somewhere around there. But even before that, I was always living well, you know? And whether it was like promoting shows and constantly selling out events, you know, which made tons of money for me, you know? But then when it switched over into Cannabis too, and I've always had been growing since I was like 14 on working with the plant, different from hiding it from my mom to, you know, little shit like that, but yeah. As soon as I found weed, I just fell in love with her, dude. <laughs> you know. What does your family say about you or like think? Well, it's all like your farm is so legal. You told me yeah, the other day. Yeah, 100%. Okay. Yeah. Well, not federally. So that helps. Not federally. Yeah, but, that but did actually, state, that really did help. Once, once they started seeing the scope of what I was doing and... The medical side to yeah, marijuana. Dude... You know, when I was growing medically, that didn't do it for them either. When I was growing medically, I had a woman call me uh, when I was on a walk with my mom and one of the women I was helping, the Hana Lake, she actually passed away, but they were going to do this massive uh, gastronomic removal, some massive, like, you know, she lost tons of weight, like she was really sick. And I made this butter for her out of ghee and coconut oil and some wild honey and some ayahuasca <laughs> and a bunch of cannabis. <laughs> yeah. And what? some and shaga and and uh, a couple other ingredients, whatever. And I, I I cooked it all down for her and I gave it to her and she gained seven pounds and they canceled the surgery. Right. Wow. And she calls me up while I'm walking with my mom and she's in tears and thank you, thank you, and all this. And I was like, you know, Dahana, would you mind talking to my mom for a minute? She's right here with me. And she was like, sure. So I hand over the phone. And, you know, my mom's like nodding her head and, you know, hands me the phone back and says goodbye, whatever. And I say goodbye to Dahana. And then my mom just starts bawling. And she's like, you're a drug dealer. <laughs> like, didn't give a fuck about any of that. You know what she I mean? She took it the wrong way. 
No, she just doesn't. She was just like, I don't care if you're helping anyone. You're a drug dealer. Don't try to like tell me otherwise, you know, basically. But then when she starts seeing it on CNN and then her own state became legal and on and on and on for recreational, then she's like, oh, you bought a sailboat or, you know, like she started getting into it more and, you know, stopped giving me a hard time. And it was like most of my life and still probably on some level, like full on black sheep of the family, you know. But yeah, the fam's not that into it. But, uh, you know, I think maybe one day we'll smoke a joint together. I, I did get high with my dad, and that was cool. And I made him uh, medicine for can- for his cancer, like a full-spectrum oil. Yeah, but he didn't care and just went on the chemo anyway. But he, And then they removed his stomach, you know, so. I mean, it's hard to deal with our, you know, like these boxes, ideas that, construct a reality like once we grew up with them like yeah. our parents yeah, sure. are like even us you know like we have like some oh yeah way of looking at the world and it's very narrow very narrow and it's always changing and the next generation is always going to be a bit more adapted I, and i think people are looking and, at the flashlight thinking they're looking at the whole cave mm, you mm. know and they're like oh it's like this and it's like well keep a little bit of an open mind here because yeah. you know yeah. And there's a very small handful of people that have all the power. And so you're not going to hear about dead zones every day on the news. That shit should be on the news every day. Like, how are we going to fix these dead zones? You know, and, and in other environmental things that actually have a real impact on our lives, you know, as opposed to all this other shit. And it's really easy to get people to, like, for instance, with COVID, right? Everyone's like, oh, a lot of my friends are like, oh, I'm going to get the vaccine. And prior to this, they were like, oh, no way, big pharma. You know, I'm not, I don't trust these. But, you know, you, you get whittled away at, you know, through the media and public pressure to conform to these concepts, you know. And if I say something to my friends like, hey, do you know, all three of these companies have been found guilty of fraud that, you know, resulting in human death in order to generate a profit and within the last 10 years you mean the company yeah johnson's making, johnson's making, all the other uh, three and, like, yeah all of them have vaccines. been found guilty like no yeah. question they knew they were doing some fucked up shit and they were still killing people and went ahead and did it because they knew at the end of the day the profit margins would balance out in their favor so you know and th there's that to think about and now that like the vaccine they're not even liable for it if it does kill people they're not liable and they don't have to tell us what's in it so if i bring this up if i say hey i don't know about these vaccines i'm instantly like a flat earther who supports trump and yeah, yeah, yeah. all this PP. shit and it's just like yo man like just keep an open mind at least a little you know i'm not saying don't do it or do it or whatever but like are you aware of I mean, what's going that, on? That's what scares me a bit about it. And dudes are like, yeah. I got the shot, I'm fine. Like, all right, tell me how you are in five years. Yeah. You know? no, or like, tell me how your kids a, are. Yeah, or how your kids are. Like, look you at know? the Pottinger experiments, you know, or like that following that? generations show the results of... Pottinger yeah, experiments. Uh, yeah, he was a dude who is a nutritionalist. Okay. Uh, and he's often grouped together with Weston Price, another nutritionist from like the early 1920s, you know, who documented how um, nutrition affects offspring. Pottinger did it with cats, but uh, Weston Price did it with uh, 
teeth and photographed like the way people's teeth started like mutating and cancers rising just from the introduction of sugar wow. in the early 1900s. Yeah, he wrote a book called Nutrition and Degenerative Diseases and uh, super famous, you know, for some people anyway. But <laughs> there you go again, you know, some things get promoted, some ideas get promoted and some ideas get, you know, this isn't profitable for us, yeah. you know? So like when milk was turned into a commodity, you know? Yeah. And uh, that's totally unhealthy for us. Yeah. You know? I remember, like, probably in the US also, but I remember this here in Mexico, all these massive publicity campaigns telling you that you basically, if you were not drinking milk, you're not going to be healthy and strong. You need milk to sure. grow up. And then, and then uh, also eat a low fat diet. You know, they're telling everyone, eat a low-fat diet. And what do they do? They just threw a shitload of sugar in there instead. And it was like a lot of... And then high fructose corn syrup was invented. And then, you know, on and on and on. There's so many, like, just in my mind, a million different examples of this. Like for antidepressants. The main antidepressant that was used uh, prior to the shit that they developed for cows, what are those uptake inhibitors? Uh, serotonin reuptake inhibitors mm -hmm. or whatever like to it, calm down the cows yeah that was made for cows for bovine and uh when it was started to get pushed onto psychiatrists in the 1970s dudes weren't really getting into it so what happened mysteriously a brand new producer of l-tryptophan which is a natural thing that they make from yeast came up and was tainted somehow poisoned a bunch of people and like a thousand people got really sick and some i think a couple died and they banned l-tryptophan from the u.s market entirely for about 10 years before they let it come now you can just go buy it at any like drugstore over the counter or supermarket even but uh yeah or 5-htp so in that process there was no more l-tryptophan and these pharmaceuticals come in they're like use these you know so these serotonin reuptake inhibitors. So it's like, it's uh, yeah, man, it's crazy, man. Which leads to all kinds of other side effects and problems, which they also cure with more pills. <laughs> you know? I guess the big trouble is lack of information or misinformation. Right. Because if people really, really knew, First of all, you wouldn't be afraid of harmless things like weed, for right. example, or drugs. Sure. Some drugs. Some drugs. Not crack cocaine. Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or but meth. Like, yeah, don't like, do meth, kids. Yeah, don't do meth. Not even medical meth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like we wouldn't be afraid of things that are not harmful or they wouldn't be harmful if we knew about them. You know, we had information about them and they were not a taboo. Uh, and if we have information about the things that really harm us, like chemicals in our food, uh, I don't know, whatever. Sure, on uh, and on. Yeah. But we're living, yeah, we're living in this bubble. Yeah. And every, it's everything, <laughs> dude, from currency to the food we eat to the information we get. All of this has been conglomerized and, and owned. Yeah. You know, basic water, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Soon there'll be like a copyright on air. I would, they'll yeah. figure out I a mean, way. <laughs> yeah. 
And there's all these, and in marijuana too, man, there's GMO marijuana and people patenting marijuana yeah. using CRISPR to develop new marijuana strains. What's CRISPR? It's like this crazy genetic whole, there's a great Netflix on it, you can watch it, but yeah. it's like a way to um, genetically modify shit. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But it, it's also funny because- as And it's outlawed too in a lot of places. Okay. Yeah, it's it's really interesting and funny because as these industries grow, also and I'm not anti CRISPR, by the way. Okay, I'm just saying. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but. <laughs> yeah, like also projects like your farm become more valuable, right? Yeah, you'd you'd like to think that, but I can't get. I mean, the people that really, really are. Into, but it's into, a small slice yeah. and to get to that market yeah. you know i'm not saying it's impossible but also we're a large-scale producer so we wholesale everything i don't do any end consumer okay you know and i'd love to give tours of my farm to the public you know, and like even and have them know, involved and yeah and, and also grow food and have like a community gardens there and stuff but the legal rep they won't let me man okay you know it's like Fuck. Where where is your wheat sold? <sighs> through dispensaries in Oregon, ah, through okay. Oregon. Yeah. Okay. It's it's called Yasha Farms, by the way. <laughs> you, mm. you can check us out on yashafarms.com, and there's a article that goes into a lot of detail about our growing practices that High Times did uh, last February, and that's on there too in our press section. So yeah, man. I mean, we're just we're a new company, you know, and if we just prove over and over again that look we're making more money than you asshole <laughs> yeah. cut it out yeah. use the sun it's free <laughs> you know like feed your soil you know don't it's not about feeding your plants it's about feeding your soil mm -hmm. if the soil is healthy the plants are going to be fine mm -hmm. you know and and then yeah, and like, sure, use chemicals sparingly if you need to, you know. Even gypsum is considered organic, but it's really chemical, you know, because too much sulfur is really not good for fungus, too. So, there's, like I said before, there's a learning curve, but mm. it's fucking worth it. You're going to save a lot of money because <laughs> that's yeah. what these dudes care about. Like our investors, they came to the farm, right, after I built it, and I took them for a walk in the woods. A very short walk because they were like smoking cigarettes and had leather shoes on. And I reached into <laughs> uh, the soil and I showed them. I was like, hey, you know, there's a lot of life in this. And da, da, da. And they were like, we want Chinese food. Like they had, they had no. <laughs> take me to a McDonald's. Yeah, take me to. Like seriously, man. I was like, no interest. Like they just saw the bottom line, you know, and that's the, the, all they cared about. So look, if, the numbers. if you're, you know, if you're all about money, regenerative is the way to go. It's, just, it's that simple. Yeah. And and as cannabis is becoming legal in Mexico and the industry's just started, you guys are going to be, or hopefully I should say, we're going to be flooded because I want to live here. Um, the We're going to be flooded by all these fuckers, you know? And when I was talking with, I'm not going to say her name, but one of the per people who wrote the laws for this country from the recreational or and medical and hemp, it's all under one thing. Um, you know, she was telling me how these large corporations are already showing up and they're trying to write the laws in ways so that small farmers can't do it, you know? Like, for instance, they said that it would cost about $2 million to test cannabis. 
you know, to build a lab. And so what I did was I priced all the testing equipment from terpenes to pesticide testing, everything. And I went and put this whole price list together for, for every piece of equipment and where you can go and purchase it. And uh, like if you were going to build your if own you were lab, gonna build your own lab and not just like a little bitch lab, like a dope lab, you know, and it only came to about 200K for analytics, you know, if that's all you're doing is testing and not 2 million. It was actually 194K, you know, so it's like, yeah, man, but that's just one of their tricks. It's, it's like on and on. If you look at like big agriculture or, you know, uh, for instance, like a meat packing plant has to, or I mean, last time I checked, it had to have a bathroom that was designated to um, USDA and FDA employees. Like what small farm could build a bathroom for just yeah. an inspector or something? You know, like they write these weird things yeah. in, you know, like the size has to be a certain thing and, you know, all the shit. So like a small meat packing plant, you know, or, or something, you know what I mean? There's, They just constantly are fucking with us, you know? And like Biden's new green deal is like in agriculture sent around this satellite system that Bayer is steeped in. You know, he hired Tom Vilsack to be the head of agriculture for, and that was Monsanto's governor of the year. And Obama hired him too, while fucking Michelle was planting an organic garden in the background and behind the fucking White House, which the news focused on. He was selling out agriculture, GMO, all that shit all day long, you know? So, but, you know, you tell your average person that, they'll, they'll probably respond with something like, what do you want, Trump to be president? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. huh? What are you talking about, dude? Like, no, I'm just saying, like, shit's fucked it's up. Like, but yeah. dudes, they, I think it's, it's too much for most people, man. Like, I think. What's like the information? To believe that the government isn't out there for their better interest. It's scary. Yeah. It's like to much. realize it's it, it's scary. Yeah. Uh, if that's yeah. what your reality is based on, like, I if don't you need, need a if government. If you think you need it. Yeah, exactly. Like, tell, it's scary. You know, it's scary. Be, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, exactly. I believe in anarchy and anarchy does not see the anarchy perfect it's not example things right it's not, no the original anarchy like modern anarchy a good example of it would be a csa a community supported agriculture system yeah you know exactly. it's like it just means small small government is what uh, it really self means. governance Sef, self governance yeah yeah and as it needs to be you know yeah but whatever man like So you say that word now, like the original anarchists in, in the United States created the labor movement, you know? But if you say the word anarchist now to the next person, they see a dude with a Molotov cocktail in their hand. Yeah. And that's great marketing, you know, done by those, those powers. Yeah. You know, and there's so many examples of this from women smoking cigarettes and how that was first made socially okay and how we call chemical agriculture conventional agriculture mm. and the organic is some special thing or something and then they take over even the organic label has gotten taken over by the government which is still being you know lobbied and shaped by big agra so you know it's like i said man it's like what do i want to do you know as within so without they say in the in the hermetic practice you know And it's like, so what's what's within here, you know? And on our field, we have a saying, you know, as we grow, we grow. We're all learning. We're learning to communicate with each other. We're learning to communicate with the soil and with business culture. And as business culture comes into cannabis, 
we've got to make sure to put cannabis culture into business too, you know? So we're more diverse. I'm not like against business, you know? It's not like, but it's if it's fucking killing us in the process, then we got to rethink the way we're doing this shit, mm -hmm. you know, across the board, energy, agriculture, cannabis, yeah, <laughs> yeah medicine, everything. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, dude. My pleasure. It was, it was fun. fun. Yeah. We'll probably need a second. Second sesh. Yeah, second sesh. Yeah. All thank right. you. Yeah. That was Igor Rakus. We Walk the Earth is a Nautilus original and is produced by me, Sergio Isauro. The music in this episode was produced by Tejedor. Editing by Miguel Andrade. Mixing by Samuel Peñalba. Executive production by Jorge González. Content strategy by Sofia Benedicto. If you like this podcast, please rate us and leave a review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify. This will help us keep going, creating and igniting curiosity in more people. This is We Walk the Earth. Thank you for listening. Until next time.